Good morning, and welcome to your Tuesday edition of Transformation Radio. Here's Fee with All Because of Jesus.
Here's another song to get your day going. It's Jesus by Citizen Saints. As we turn our attention to the reading of the New Testament, our narrative today comes from the book of Luke, chapter 11, verses 14 through 36. 
Here's a brief overview of what we're going to be reading about today in Scripture. Jesus went about all Israel, preaching the kingdom and healing all manner of diseases. And as he went, causing the ire of the Pharisees and religious leaders. The Pharisees' accusations were becoming more desperate. To accuse Jesus of being empowered by Satan, the prince of demons, because Jesus was driving out demons, was also to say that the Pharisees' own exorcists were doing Satan's work. Well, Jesus turned the religious leaders' accusation against them. Jesus first dismissed their claim as absurd. Why would the devil drive out his own demons? And then he engaged in a little irony. Hey, what about your own exorcists, he asks. Finally, he concluded that his work of driving out demons proved that the kingdom of God had arrived. Jesus speaks to people who put extremely high value on family ties. Their genealogies were important guarantees that they were part of God's chosen people. Jesus' response to the woman meant that a person's obedience to God is more important than his or her place on the family tree. Consistent obedience is more important than the honor of bearing a respected son. Well, with that, let's begin our reading today, here in the New Testament. April 5th, the New Testament. Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 36. One day Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. But some of them said, No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Others, trying to test Jesus, demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. He knew their thoughts. So he said, Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You say I am empowered by Satan, but if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. But if I am casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For when a strong man like Satan is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. As he was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, God bless your mother, the womb from which you came, and the breasts that nursed you. Jesus replied, But even more blessed are all who hear the word of God, and put it into practice. As the crowd pressed in on Jesus, he said, This evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. What happened to him was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. What happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to these people that he was sent by God. 
the Queen of Sheba will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. The people of Nineveh will also stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand, where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is bad, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. If you are filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant, as though a floodlight were filling you with light. Our devotion today is about contentment. Rejoice, the Lord who has redeemed you is worthy of your love and worship. You should enjoy food because it is God's gift, but if you love it, you'll end up fat and unhealthy. You should be thankful for the money that God provides, but if you love it, you will find yourself a workaholic or in debt. Surely you should celebrate the pleasures and comfort that God puts in your life, but if you love them, you will soon be addicted. Here's a spiritual reality that we all need to know, understand, and live in light of. If you love the gifts and not the giver, your heart will never be satisfied. But if you love the giver, your heart will be content and you will be able to enjoy his gifts while keeping them in their proper place. Beneath this reality are even deeper spiritual realities. The first is that you need to understand that you were created to love. You don't just love, you are a lover. Every human being's life is a quest to find something to love and a quest to be loved. This means that you are always surrendering the affections of your heart to something. Whatever commands the love of your heart also shapes the direction of your life. But there is more to be said. You are also created to worship. You don't just occasionally worship in moments of intentional and formal religious activity. You are a worshiper. You're always looking for something to which you can attach your identity, your hopes and dreams, and your inner peace. Whatever controls the worship of your heart controls the choices, words, emotions, and actions. Now, because you're a sinner, it is very tempting to give the love and worship they were meant to give to God and God alone to something in the creation. You take the affection, submission, and service of your heart that was meant to be reserved for the Creator, and you place it on something created, on some created thing. We all do this in some way. So the desire for good possessions is not wrong, but it must not rule your heart. The hunger for comfort and ease is not ungodly in itself, but it must not rule your heart. The desire for the love of another person is not wrong, but it must not rule your heart. A desire for even a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a ruling thing. Good things never result when love for and worship of the Creator are replaced by love for and worship of created things. So what does grace do? Grace works to rescue you from you by progressively breaking your bondage to the created world and turning the deepest affection of your heart toward God. God alone is worthy of your worship. God alone is able to satisfy and bring peace to your heart. This work of rescue is not yet completed in any of us. Yes, by grace we love the world less than we once did, and we surely love God more than before. But our hearts are still torn, and our loyalties at points are still confused. But we need not fret, because grace will win and bring final rest to our worship and our true love.
And to add to that, I'll be reading a few verses from 1 John chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know him, and we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Small.
Psalm 77, verses 1 through 20. Now here is what we're going to be reading about here in the book of Psalms today. Asaph cried out to God for courage during a time of deep distress. The source of Asaph's distress was his doubt. He said, I cry out to God. As Asaph expressed his request to God, his focus changed from thinking of himself to worshiping God. You are the God of great wonders, he exclaims. See, only after he put aside his doubts about God's holiness and care for him, did he eliminate his distress. As we pray to God, he shifts our focus from ourselves to him. Memories of God's miracles and faithfulness sustained Israel through their difficulties. They knew that God was capable and trustworthy. When you meet new trials, review how good God has been to you, and this will strengthen your faith as well. Now, as we move into verses 16 through 20, these verses refer to the miraculous parting of the Red Sea. This great event is mentioned many times in the Old Testament. The story of this incredible miracle was handed down from generation to generation, continually reminding the Israelites of God's power, protection, and love. Psalm 77, verses 1 through 20, for Jeduthun, the choir director, the Psalm of Asaph. I cry out to God, yes, I shout, oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed, with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God, and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for His help. Interlude. You don't let me sleep. I am too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days, long since ended, when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will He never again be kind to me? Is His unfailing love gone forever? Have His promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He slammed the door on His compassion? Interlude. And I said, This is my fate. The Most High has turned His hand against me. But then I recall all You have done, O Lord. I remember Your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. O oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Interlude. When the Red Sea saw you, O oh God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep, with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. In my wrestling and in my doubts, 
In my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Whoa, you are the peace in my troubled sea. In the silence, you won't let go. In the questions, your truth will hold. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Whoa, you are the peace in my troubled sea. My lighthouse, my lighthouse, shining in the darkness. to shore, safe to shore, safe to shore, safe to shore. I won't feel what tomorrow brings, with each morning I'll rise and sing, my God's love will Soul on Fire. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow. So
and love. 